0: As I mentioned, Brother Nick and I had the chance to go to India together. India is a very, uh, it's a very vast and, and, and complicated place. Uh, many, many different people groups and uh, lots of different languages spoken in the country. Very diverse. And the purpose of our going was to visit two distinct areas... And, uh, and the goal was to, to let Nick and some others to, just to get a taste of the frontline pioneer mission work. What really is it like in the frontline places and where the people are doing mission work? And, uh, and so we went and then came back, and obviously the, the, the relationship ensued here, uh, and, it's been, and it's been great. And, you know, we're, and so we together are involved in this mission work. You know, it wasn't long ago, and I was thinking, you know, we talk a lot about mission work, don't we? We talk about mission teams, missionaries, mission work. And I was like, what, what really does it mean? <laughs> what, is, what does it mean when we go on a mission trip? What does it mean that we're on mission? What does it mean? And I thought, okay, let, let's take a look at that. And if we can understand what it means, then maybe we can understand a little bit more what's underneath it. So I thought this morning we could, first of all, let's take a look and let's define what it is we're talking about when we talk about mission work. And then we'll go one step further and we'll look about really what, is, what, what is our, should our involvement be in God's mission for reaching the nations for Christ. So next slide, please. Uh, would you back one, please, the word mission. So when we say the word mission, what do we mean? So the English word mission means ascending off, and it's derived from the Latin word missio, which means ascending, a dispatching, or ascending away. The word misio is derived from the Greek word apostello. And this is the word that we get the word apostle from. And apostello means to send or one sent. Also a messenger, one sent on a mission, an apostle. The word apostello focuses back on the one doing the sending. okay? And it strongly connects the sender with those who are being sent. And it carries the idea of a superior. Specifically the king, Jesus, sending out his subjects or his followers, which means each one of us, on a defined mission, on a specific mission. And that mission is that of proclaiming his gospel and establishing his church, particularly among those who have never heard it before. So when we speak of missions in the context of the church, what we are really talking about is the mission that Jesus has sent us, his followers, on. Jesus, the King, has sent each one of us on a defined mission, that of proclaiming his gospel and establishing his church, particularly among those who have never heard it before. And I think a key verse that encapsulates this is John 20, 21, where Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Next slide, please. And over the years, God has sent out many missionaries into many places. Uh, we think of people like Hudson Taylor and William Carey and uh, uh, David Livingston going to places like China in India and Africa. Um, Adoniram and Ann Judson took the gospel to Myanmar. Sundar Singh took the gospel to Tibet. My dad was a missionary in the country of Ecuador. Uh, the Apostle Paul took the gospel to the Gentiles. And see, all these people were sent out on a mission by the king. They were to go and to proclaim the gospel, and all of them obeyed, and they went, and God honored their efforts. And in fact, each one of us are here today because somewhere along the line, there was a missionary who crossed our paths and who shared the gospel with us, and we are here because of their faithful witness. You see, but not only are all of those people missionaries, you see, each one of us also are called to be missionaries. You know, being on mission is part of who we as Christians are to be. It's supposed to be part of the DNA of the church. Each one of us is created and commissioned for mission. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So each and every follower of Jesus Christ, we are created and we are commissioned for mission. So if that's the case, so what should that look like? So as we go about being missionaries in this world, what should that look like? What should our lives manifest as we seek to carry out this missional mandate? And as I was thinking about that question, I thought, okay, let's look at the life of the Apostle Paul. And let's look at five characteristics or or marks that we see in his life as he carried out the calling that God had given him to do. So first of all, we see that Paul was a man of purpose. So if you turn in your Bibles to Acts uh, chapter 25... Acts chapter 25, uh, starting in verse 23, we won't actually read this verse, but just to give the context, and then we will shift one chapter forward. But in Acts chapter 25, we see that Paul is giving his defense before Festus and King Agrippa. And in that defense, he gives them this this broad brushstroke of his background, and then he begins to dial in on his conversion experience that he had on the road to Damascus. And then if we, in the next slide here, if we look at in Acts 26, verses 17 to 18, then Paul really dials in on the specific commission that Jesus gives to him. And he says, Jesus says to Paul, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You see, Paul had just been given purpose. He had just been sent on a mission. He was to be about going primarily to the Gentiles to proclaim the gospel to them. And in so doing, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they could receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. You see, Paul was given a purpose, and God enabled him to to carry that out. Paul was a man of purpose. Next slide, please. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China in the 1800s. For about 50 years, he evangelized the people of that largely untapped mission field. And one time, he and a co-worker were in one part of China, and they were targeting a city called Tengchao. And the goal was the distribution of the scriptures in that place. And they felt uh, they were they were committed to this. They, they they felt God really wanted them to do this. But they also had the sensing that if they did, that the enemy was going to push back against them. He was going to resist their efforts. But they were resolved. Nothing should get in their way. And Hudson Taylor, in his autobiography, he writes. He says whether it were to bonds, imprisonment, or death, or whether to distribute our scriptures and tracts and safety and return unhurt, we knew not. But we were determined. By the grace of God, not to leave Tung Chau any longer without the gospel, nor its teeming thousands to die in uncared-for ignorance of the way of life. You see, Hudson Taylor, like the Apostle Paul, was a man on a mission. He had been called to proclaim the gospel, to take the gospel to these people in China, and God enabled him to carry it out. You see, Paul, like the like Hudson Taylor, they were. They were men of purpose, and in the same way, each of us, you and me, we as missionaries are to be people of purpose. But not only was Paul a man of purpose, but he was also a man of passion. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 9.16. Next slide, please. Paul writes the following. He says, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion, For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. You see, inside Paul, there resided this deep sense of conviction. It was like this this inner passion, this inner sense of compulsion that he must make Jesus known. You see, for Paul, it wasn't an option to choose, but an obligation to fulfill. And why? Why was Paul under this sense of compulsion? Well, Jesus had commanded him to go. That's probably enough. However, I think there were maybe some other factors that may have influenced this this deep sense of passion and conviction that Paul had. And I'd like to share two of those with you this morning. First of all, I believe that Paul understood a bit of the worthiness of Jesus. You see, not only had Paul been in the presence of Jesus on the road to Damascus, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that he was caught up to the third heaven. And one Bible commentator says that the third heaven is the dwelling place of God. Okay, so twice, Paul has been in the actual presence of God. And twice, he's, he's been able to glimpse at least a bit of the glory of Jesus. So then I think it's reasonable for us to conclude that one of the primary drivers behind Paul's sense of compulsion or passion for making Christ known was that he understood a little bit of the worthiness of Jesus. Paul understood that Jesus was worthy because of who he is and because of what he has done to be made known to and to be worshiped by every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus is worthy. Next slide, please. About 300 years ago, there was a group of people that lived in Central Europe called the Moravians. The Moravians were a persecuted people. And they found refuge on the land of a German aristocrat named Ludwig Zinzendorf. And Zinzendorf allowed them to live and worship as they pleased. And at one point, uh, Zinzendorf attended the coronation of the king of Denmark. And while he was there, he met a couple of people from outside of Europe that had never before heard the name of Jesus Christ. And this gripped Zinzendorf. He's like, how could this be? And so he went back and he shared this with the Moravians. And together they committed to pray about this. By the end of two years, the Moravians had sent out their first two missionaries to share the gospel with slaves that lived in the West Indies. Over the next 20 years, the Moravians sent teams to Greenland, to North America, to South Africa, to Persia, and to China. By the end of the decade, they had sent out 70 cross-cultural workers, and by the end of 50 years, they had sent out 300 missionaries. It's the greatest missionary movement that the church has ever experienced. What was it that fueled this great missionary endeavor? Author George Miley, in his book, Loving the Church, Blessing the Nations, he answers this question. He says, their motivation for missions was not compulsion or guilt, but worship and joy. Jesus was worthy. It was inherently obvious to them that all the nations must hear of him and be given every opportunity to come to know, to love, to obey, and to worship him. It's been said that the first two missionaries, their names were Johann Dober and David Nitschmann, that they, when they tried to obtain passage on the ship, that they, were, that they were denied. And so they sold themselves to a slave trader so that they could reach their geographic and spiritual objective. And it's been said that as the ship was pulling away from the harbor, that they looked back to their loved ones on the shore and they cried out, May the lamb who was slain receive the due reward of his sufferings. You see, what the Moravians, just like the Apostle Paul, understood was that Jesus is worthy to be made known because of who he is and what he has done. He is worthy to be made known to and to be worshipped by every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus is worthy. Another factor which I believe influenced Paul's sense of compulsion or passion was that he understood how valuable people are in the sight of God. In first Timothy chapter two, verses three to four, he writes to Timothy, He says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We see the same theme in Second Peter three, nine, where Peter writes, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some count slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And I think the most compelling evidence for, for God's great heart for the lost comes from a verse that we all know, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, God loves each and every person, each and every person in this room, each and every person around the world. He loves each and every person, and he sent his son to die for us so that we will turn and believe and have that restored relationship with him. Next slide, please. A few years ago, <clears throat> I had the opportunity to visit the country of... Uh, I, should, I should say this. Uh, I'm gonna, could you mute? If not, I'll just... Uh, see that Paul was a man of purpose. Paul was also a man of passion. And then we see that Paul was a man of prayer. Next slide, please. If you look at uh, the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verses 2 to 4, Paul writes, he said, next slide, please. He writes, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. You see, Paul understood that when it comes to mission work, God is central and essential. See, so much does he understand this, that he even writes to the Christians at Colossae and he says to them, he says, Please pray that God will open the door for our message and that when he does that, he'll give us the ability to proclaim it clearly. So even though Paul was commissioned and sent by Jesus himself to be a missionary, Paul nonetheless understood that he needed the leading and enabling of the Holy Spirit in order to carry it out. And as such, Paul devoted himself to prayer. You see, prayer is an integral part of mission work. Prayer acknowledges that we can't, but that God can. Only God can open the blinded eyes of the unbeliever. Only God can give a person the understanding that Jesus is the Christ. Only God can give saving faith. Only God can draw a person to Christ. And only God can save. Only God can do these things. And therefore, we need to pray, asking God to do what only God can do. Next slide, please. No. Okay, we'll just, I, we'll just carry on. It's okay. I have a friend in, in Nepal, and his name is Pradeep. And Pradeep comes out of a high caste Hindu background. And when Pradeep was, uh, when he was younger, the only person in his family who was a Christian was his uncle. And his uncle faithfully prayed for him as he grew up. When Pradeep was about 17 years old, he hit a very low point in his life, a very low, very dark, and so, so low and dark was this time that he contemplated committing suicide. And he told me, he said, but it was in that dark time of his life that God opened the eyes of his heart and gave him this, this window of realization, of understanding, in which he could see and recognize and understand that Jesus was the way and the truth. And so compelling was that, that it it turned his life around. And Pradeep is now a Christ follower. He's heavily involved in evangelism and church planting efforts in the southern part of the border of Nepal. He's been involved in large-scale evangelistic efforts in his country. And how much of this happened? Because the uncle prayed. You see, maybe the uncle understood something. Maybe the uncle understood that only God can could open the blinded eyes of his nephew's heart. That only God could give his, his nephew that understanding that Jesus was the way and the truth. That only God could give the nephew that saving faith necessary to take a step towards Christ when God drew him. And that only God could save him. And so the uncle prayed and God responded. You see, we need to understand that God is central and essential to mission work. That if we want to see the powers of darkness pushed back, if we want to see laborers sent out and the gospel proclaimed and churches established, then we need to pray, asking God to do what only God can do. You see, Paul was a man of prayer, and Pradeep's uncle was a man of prayer, and missionaries, which includes you and me, we are to be people of prayer. So we see that Paul was a man of purpose. He was a man of passion. Paul was a man of prayer. And Paul was also a man of proclamation. In other words, Paul didn't just know the gospel message in his mind, or he didn't just believe it in his heart or or pray it from the place of his knees, but Paul also proclaimed it with his lips. In Acts 26, where where Paul is giving his, his defense before Festus and Agrippa, he says to them in verses 19 to 20, he says, "'So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven.' First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. You see, Paul preached. It means to proclaim, to herald, to make known, to declare. He preached the gospel that go, that those, to those that God had sent him to. You know, he didn't just stop with praying for them. That's good, but he didn't stop there. He didn't stop with just living a godly example before them. That's good. That's needed. He didn't just stop there. Paul went one step further. He also proclaimed the truth of the gospel to them. And I think I was thinking about an example of, of the proclamation. And one person who came to mind is the late Billy Graham. And uh, subsequent to his death, the New York Times wrote this in an article. They said, quote, in 2007, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association estimated that he had preached the gospel to more than 215 million people in more than 185 countries and territories since beginning his crusades in October 1947 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He reached hundreds of millions more on television, through video, and in film. You see, Billy Graham, like the Apostle Paul, was faithful at proclaiming, at declaring the gospel message to those that God had sent him to. Now, one thing I wanted to just a small uh, caveat or asterisk here uh, to mention is I think it's important for us to understand when it comes to uh, mission work and to the proclamation of the gospel, we need to understand what our job is and what our job is not. You see, our job is to proclaim, we are to make the gospel known to other people, but it is not our job to convert them to Christ. Oftentimes, It seems like Christians tend to think that it's our job to convert people. We need to do that. But it's actually not. This is God's job to do that. In Acts 16, Luke writes the following. He says, On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. And then he writes, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. You see, Paul proclaimed the message of the gospel to her. He shared the good news with her. But God was the one who opened her heart to respond to the message. See, Paul didn't need to convince her to become a Christian. Paul's job was to faithfully declare, to make it known. And then it was God's job to convince and to convert. Hudson Taylor understood this principle. About 1,800 years later, when he was ministering to the people in China, he said the following. He says, the people listen with attention, but we need the power from on high to convince and to convert. So our job as missionaries is to make known, to proclaim the gospel message to those that God is sending us to. But let's remember that it is not our job to convert them. That's God's job. Our job is to proclaim. God's job is to convince and to convert, to open hearts to respond to his message. So we see that Paul was a man who proclaimed the gospel. And Billy Graham was a man who proclaimed the gospel. And missionaries, which includes each one of you and me, we are to be people who proclaim the gospel message. Okay, so we've seen that Paul is a man of purpose. Paul was a man of passion. He was a man of prayer. Paul was a man of proclamation. And then we see that Paul was a man of perseverance. In Acts chapter 20, verses 13 to 16, we see Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem. And on the way, he takes a stop at a place called Miletus. And while he's there, he calls for the elders of the Ephesian church to come to him. And in his address to them, we get this this glimpse into the deep-seated tenacity that Paul has towards his calling. In verse 24, Paul says to them, he says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. You see, Paul was in it for the duration. Even at the risk of loss of life, Paul was not going to be deterred from completing the task, from completing the race that the Lord Jesus had given him to do. But I think no greater example of perseverance can be Jesus Christ himself, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. If we look in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we get this brilliant picture of of the perseverance that Jesus had. And it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Let us consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, lest we grow weary and lose heart. You see, Jesus persevered so that we could have life. May he give us the grace and the strength to persevere so that others can have the opportunity also to hear the gospel about him. You see, Paul was a man of perseverance, and Jesus was a man of perseverance. And missionaries, which includes each one of you and me, we are called to be people of perseverance. So in summary and conclusion this morning, we have seen that we have been created and commissioned for mission. We have been sent by Jesus the King on a defined mission, that of proclaiming His gospel and establishing His church, particularly in places that have never heard of Jesus before. Then, we have reviewed five marks or characteristics of a missionary. We have seen that we are called to be people of purpose. We are to be about making Jesus known. Then, we're called to be people of passion. Why should we make Him known? Because Jesus is worthy and for the sake of the lost, and because we are commanded to do so. Then, we're called to be people of prayer. We have seen that God is central and essential to mission work. Only God can open blinded eyes. Only God can give understanding that Jesus is the Christ. Only God can give saving faith. Only God can draw a person to Christ. And only God can save. Only God can do these things. And therefore, we must pray, asking God to do what only God can do. Then, we're called to be people of proclamation. We're not only to know the gospel message in our minds or believe it in our hearts or pray it from our knees. We're also called to proclaim it. We are to make it known with our lips. And then finally, we're called to be people of perseverance. Will we persevere in holding out the word of life to those who are perishing? And may the Lord enable each one of us, as He did the Apostle Paul, as He did Hudson Taylor and Billy Graham and Mark, Pradeep's uncle, all these people that have gone before us, may He enable us to respond to Him and to be His missionaries, faithfully declaring the praises of Him who called us out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Let's pray. Lord, we just um, come to You and And thank you, Lord, for for the great uh, example that you have set before us in yourself. You were the, the ultimate and consummate missionary, Lord. You were sent by the Father on a mission. And your mission was a redeeming, forgiving, reconciling mission, Lord. You came and you paid the ultimate price so that we could have life, so that we could be restored in relationship to the Father, so that we could be inheritors of eternal life so that we could enjoy eternity in the presence of the Father and live our lives today with hope and with life and with purpose. Lord, we have a great gift that we have been given, and Lord, we want to share that with others. Lord, as the Father sent you, so you send us. Lord, we are called and created for mission work. We are to be about making you known. Lord, we are to to fearlessly proclaim the gospel message, Lord, It is a great message, Lord, and other people are waiting to hear it. They're dying to hear it. Oh God, I pray that you'll stir our hearts. I pray that you will mobilize from among your church in TBC and in Washington State and around the world, that you will mobilize an army of missionaries that will boldly follow you into mission work, whether it's in the place of prayer, whether it's through financial giving, whether it's through going to frontline places like where our missionaries are working, whether it's as a connector or as an advocate or in whatever capacity you call your people to, we pray, Lord, that you will find an army of people that are willing and available and want to step into this great, great calling of being on mission for you. Lord, stir our hearts. Enable us, Lord, to take one more step, Lord, in this area of becoming a missionary. Lord, not for our sakes, but for the sake of making you known and for the sake of the many people that are waiting to hear about you. So thank you, Lord, for just being able to look a few minutes into these concepts and principles. Lord, would you bless this church body. Thank you for their involvement already here locally and around the world. Would you bless them, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen.